1: hello and welcome to rainstop play uh, i'm i'm hosting today as dan is away somewhere i think he's probably playing golf not really sure and Glenn just just hasn't really been watching much cricket other than he was watching uh, what was it namibia versus uae yesterday morning which would have been about i think we worked out it was about 1:30 a.m his time he was staying up to watch that big big encounter david visa hit some, actually to be fair, he didn't even hit that many runs, even though he's the only player I've heard of in the whole game. You'd expect him to stand out. I think he did take a couple of wickets though. But yeah, so neither of those lads are here with me. I am joined by Will. Will, I think it is the first time in a while we've spoken. I would say that. It is the first time on a podcast we've spoken, but we did do this podcast yesterday and forgot to record. So I have spoken to you very recently, but how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I I was wondering whether or not we'd address the elephant in the room. Um, but it's fine, listeners. You'll get an even better pod because we've done it once already. Um, yeah, I'm very well. Missed a couple of pods because I've been moving house. Um, but I am, I'm happily set up now and looking forward to uh, talking about cricket today.
1: Yeah, good. Right. Well, let's get, let's get straight into it because the IPL is kind of chugging along. It's, it's We'll get into the business end of the season. For a couple of teams, it's squeaky bum time. We had a big game yesterday that knocked Rajasthan Royals out, even though it could have. It could have knocked Mumbai Indians out. If because if, if if Rajasthan had beaten them, then either Rajasthan or Kolkata were going to get a win because they play each other. So Mumbai Indians wouldn't have been able to qualify. And now, you know, what? Will you 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 know a bit about the, the the IPL generally? You've got the permutations in front of you, I believe. So go on, run us through run us through what's going on.
0: Yeah, so obviously, as you said, it was a huge game yesterday. It, it it wasn't quite because of how net run rate works out, but it was pretty much whoever lost yesterday is going out and can't make the playoffs, uh, which, of course, is my team, Rajasthan, because they're not very good. And frankly, it was ridiculous that they were ever in contention to make the top four at this stage of the season. We'll discuss that match in a minute. Um, but it basically boils down, at the end of the day, to KKR or Mumbai. Technically, the Punjab Kings can still make it, but it requires some some weirdness and a lot of net run rate strange things to happen. So if we go through it team by team, so Rajasthan out now, Mumbai win their last game by a pretty big margin, which slightly help their net run rate. But if KKR make it to 14 points, which they would do by beating Rajasthan, I would suggest that's quite likely. <laughs> that means they'll definitely make fourth. So at this point, it's not in Mumbai's hands, but if KKR lose their game and Mumbai win, they can still make it to fourth. That's basically the situation that we're at. Um, it would be quite Rajasthan to turn up for one day at the end of the season just to wreck everybody else's campaigns for the fun of it.
1: That's what um, I'm worried about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you you are a KKR fan, of course. Exactly. Are, you, are you feeling
1: confident? No, not at all, because you can never feel confident in KKR. And also, it would be so classic Rajasthan to turn up and hit 200 and batter them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It, it absolutely would. Um, but I, I've been punished for having faith in Rajasthan at various points this season. Um, speaking of which, yeah, that game that game yesterday, which, which as we said, was a crucial game. Rajasthan got away with murder at times this season. They still could have made the playoffs going to, down to the last two games of the season. And yet, it was a massive bottle job yesterday, let's be fair. They crashed to 90 for nine in their 20 overs, which is catastrophic. Also hold the unwanted record for the third longest number of balls in an innings without a boundary. We managed to go 79 deliveries without getting to a boundary until somebody decided to smash a six off the last over just for the fun of it when the game was gone. In some ways, you have to sympathise with Rajasthan because the team that they put out yesterday just isn't supposed to be the team. You know, it's supposed to be Butler and Stokes opening, Archer doing basically the whole bowling by himself and then seeing what contributions you can get from Shivam Dube and Chris Morris and other people chiming it. And obviously what it's ended up being is this slightly random opening pair that came out of nowhere and has done really well in Evan Lewis and Jezbel, who should basically be the future of the, of the franchise. That's a very good opening pair if you can retain both of them. And then again, you're relying on another Indian child who's barely played a handful of IPO games uh, in Sicaria, who has also done really, really well. And he's now the lead bowler. So it's not quite the team that it's supposed to be. They've given a reasonable account of themselves. Samson and Livingston at times looked like it would really help that middle order. And suddenly the whole team kind of takes shape. That fell apart a bit, unfortunately, towards the end of the season, at which point they weren't even playing Chris Morris or Liam Livingston, two of their big overseas players in the eleven for this crucial game. So that kind of tells you the wheels have come off a little bit. Um, the one silver lining for Rajasthan, we've all said it, it's the big R world. They need a rebuild. Um, But fortunately for them, we know that we've got this news coming up in 11 days time now. On the 17th of October, they're announcing two new IPL franchises, uh, which means that early next year we are going to have a mega auction. Um, And the way that works is every franchise is going to just pick four of their players to retain. Everybody else goes to the auction. It's all a free for all. So that's a pretty good opportunity to take a look at the players that you've got. Who do you actually need? Who's core to this? Which I would suggest is probably something like Jezvel, Samson, Sakaria. And Archer you might want to okay. keep Stokes in there that that's kind of where I think they'll go um, I was going to
1: ask you I was about to ask you who would be your four because Butler immediately springs to mind but now you've named those other those other those other f- like three or four I, that makes sense not to go Butler because you need the Archer Archer is the you don't really want to pick more than one overseas in that thing and Archer is He's gonna be he's the most valuable. And I think they've got him on not that much money, whereas Archer would go for an absolute silly sum of money at the next auction. So definitely keep hold of him.
0: Exactly that. And we we've seen how much Chris Morris went for becoming a record signing at the previous auction. If he's worth that much, I mean God only knows how much it's gonna cost you to get Archer back. So I think you, you have to keep him. And then I think if we look at the models of who's been successful in recent IPLs, Mumbai, Delhi, teams like that, Chennai before that. Of course, they've always had fantastic overseas players, but usually they're built around really, really strong Indian cores, and I think that's the model to go with. Um, And although it seems crazy to let people like Butler or Stokes go, and they they may well try and keep one of those somehow, I think that experiment has kind of run its course at this point. We've had Butler, Stokes, Archer all playing two, three full seasons now. Add into that the uncertainty with both of them that you don't know what their schedule is like for this year. We don't know how much they're going to want to play. Whether they're even going to come next season. So I think you kind of have to move on and build around your young Indian players.
1: Mm, I think that's such a good point as well, because also with Butler is a wicketkeeper batsman is so a wicketkeeper batsman seems to be quite a popular overseas choice when you think about it, but they've got Samson who can do that. So that extra money that Butler could go for, they can focus it on a batsman who might go for slightly less because he can't, you know, he can't keep wicket. I know IPL auctions don't work in linear ways like that. It's, Ends up being an absolute frenzy, but yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really interested because we'll, we'll definitely do a podcast when that when that auction happens because this auction we did one for this year's auction and it was it was all right, but then we had a couple of teams that just didn't really do anything. Uh, Sunrisers, who are currently bottom, just didn't turn up, which is hilarious. Uh, some of the teams that are doing, and kind of, we've spoken about some of the teams that are still in the running for playoffs, but we've also got um, Delhi Capitals and CSK are. Barring some crazy net run rate today, are going to be that qualifier, the one and two. They played off a couple of days ago, and Delhi made a pretty easy 135 chase look quite difficult in the end. You know, Dhoni, his he, he really struggled in that kind of first innings, and I think uh, Raidu made a fifty, which I feel like he's not made runs for a couple of years now, but he made a fifty, and it, it was at 43 balls, which uh, 55 from 43 was not out which is not great, really. And Jadeja only got to face two balls because Dhoni faced 27 and only hit 18. So they're worrying signs, but I was about to say, like we said, but like we said yesterday when no one no one heard us, I think they're still going to be good. You know, CSK are still good. I think they'll probably get beaten by Delhi in the kind of qualifier. The other team who have done well are RCB. Kohli's last year, written in the stars. Kohli's last year's captain. Written in the stars for them to win it surely but who i mean who is going to captain rcb who who would captain rcb with coley being there because i presume they'll keep him it be it would be really shocking for them to get rid of him i feel like there's a lot of their marketing and their fans that are coley fans i think from a cricketing perspective i can see reasons to get rid he is an amazing batsman He's not I wouldn't put him in a top kind of he's not making a world 11 in T20 cricket in the other in T20 cricket. He doesn't make a world 11 in the other formats. Hundred percent. One of the first names on the team sheet. But I don't think he's a world class. He's a world class. He doesn't make a world 11 for me. So I do. I do think it would be silly for them to get rid of him. But being captain after Coley's captain for like I feel like he's captain for almost the whole IPL for them pretty much so it would be really weird wouldn't it will like who, who's going to step up they don't really have any apart from washington sundar of course sorry <laughs> just for you dan yeah it's a really good question i never even
0: thought about it they'll definitely keep me around i mean he did a very you know emotional fluffy statement with them when he announced he wasn't going to keep being captain where he said you know i'll be at rcb till the last ipl game and it would be quite funny now if they somehow lost in the playoffs and all the wheels came off and then they got rid of him <laughs> But yeah, I hadn't even given any thought to who could replace him because there's really no next cab off the rank. Um, I'm looking at some speculation now, which thinks, well, the three names they've given are um, Padakal, who seems very, very young. I mean, that is
1: really great. <laughs> that would be a token decision, wouldn't it? That would be, they'd give that it is... to Padakal. Coley's actually going to do all the all the captaining. But...
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coley's on the field blatantly doing all the captaining, but notionally we sent Padakal to go to the interview. Yvi um, Chahal which is a little bit more plausible Ooh, I like
1: it, I like it, I always don't... wanted to see bowlers captaining because it never happens yeah but I or, like or,
0: it. or the third pick they've given A.B. de Villiers which seems equally unlikely on the Coley logic, I'm pretty sure he can't be bothered to do it, the name that they've not got which feels the most logical on the top of my head would be Glenn Maxwell
1: yeah but are they going to keep him? will they keep him at this mega auction? He's done well this season, and he's, you know, he he actually came out and said because he's done well this season, and he's kind of he he's come out and gotten fed up with people kind of saying you're rubbish at IPL, mate. Saw it out, which I'm sure lots of people have been saying. We've said it on this podcast because he was rubbish. He's been, you know, he's been good in other tournaments. His 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 form is just up and down. I I, I think he's he as a talent again. It's kind of we spoke about it with Moeen Ali. He is a talent that you would you are you are annoyed about that he doesn't fulfill his potential all the time, but that is also part of his brilliance because he will he can win you a game with bat less so ball than Moeen, but with bat and ball to a certain extent from m- most positions, because he can just go absolutely berserk, but I, I he's the right age to captain. That's he's it. He's the, the right age, but
0: he's the right <sighs> age, he's kind of the right vibe. I can sort of see it on a pitch but he has only been there one season and as you say, it's he's, he's he's a little bit bits and pieces for that role
1: um, gonna... apparently,
0: apparently Harshal Patel is captain of Haryana in the Ranji Trophy so if you want another <laughs> bowling option there you go i
1: think i think picking up is always risky with injury and stuff isn't it though i think that's why bowlers aren't captains generally they get injured and rested more so they can't captain who knows but yeah, be, uh, well, that will be interesting because, yeah, he's going to still be there playing the strings. It'll be like when um, when Dhoni was still obviously playing for India and Kohli was captain. It was like, hmm, seems like Dhoni might be doing quite a lot of this work, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed it during the 2019 World Cup. But yeah, I mean, how do you, who do you think? Who, so who do you think is going to win the whole thing? How do you think the playoffs are going to go? I know we've we've been burned on
0: this podcast many times before because we were very mean about Chennai last season and now they have been top of this one for most of the the year Delhi replacing them for the moment now I still just don't quite believe in them and if I want a little bit more logic to that I think that it just I'm not sure there's enough in the middle order given the what form Dhoni is in which is not very good that I think if they don't get a big opening partnership particularly if Guy Goddard doesn't do anything I don't think they're going to win a game And that's more fragile than the other three teams that are going to be in the top four, I think. If RCB top opening pair crumble a bit, Maxwell can go off. You know that's going to happen. Jadeja could do that for Chennai, but less likely. And Dhoni is still obsessed with this going deeper than doing absolutely nothing strategy. Um, 18 of 27 is not an IPL innings, regardless of who you are or, or what you've done in the past. So I don't quite believe in them. So... Ruling, ruling a possible favourite out. I can't look past Ellie, to be perfectly honest. I know we, we've said before, the narrative is RCB, which makes total sense. Coley's last year's captain. They'd love to win it. He's going to be really passionate to do that. And I think they've got a team this year which legitimately could. I mean, they have, I think, Arshab Patel is still the, the leading wicket-taker. Glenn Maxwell's a really good option um, in the middle order for them now. The opening partnership's doing well. So they look a really good option. I just can't look past Ellie. I think it's, I think it's their year. As we said, really good Indian core. Everyone's kind of firing. Pant's captaincy has been weirdly good. They have. I thought it could become a bit of a soap opera with Shreyas being stripped of the captaincy after only one season, and then bringing Pant in, who's twenty-four. But it seems to have worked really well for them, and I just think they've got they've got so much talent in every position. They'd probably be my favourites.
1: Yeah, I, I can completely see that, and I think they they're, they're the team I want to win. Other than my team, KKR winning, I want Delhi to win, and I have done for a couple of years now because they look. Like you say, they've got a really good Indian core. They've got some class overseas players in Amrik Nokia, Kigisa Rabada. They had a really good balance at one point last year where they had Stoinis and, and Hetmeyer just in the middle order doing bits, and then they had Rabada and Norkia as the bowlers. The only thing they were missing was a kind of overseas pace bowler, and they've, they've got Avesh Khan, who has bowled really well for them this year. So that's that's kind of filled that void for them that they were kind of missing because at some points last year they started playing like a third overseas pace bowler and it was like that's that's not balanced.
0: <laughs> they were also doing those weird lineups where like Stoinis would open the batting and the
1: bowling <laughs> and all all sorts of things <laughs> Stoinis bowling the 20th over at one point as well <laughs> that was a yeah. real low point yeah it was he is unfortunately injured though and it's going to be a bit it's a bit of a worry for Australia um yeah, I, th- I think that's about it for for IPL discourse. I personally think CSK are going to win it. Don't want them to, but I think they probably will. Just I think they'll lose the qualifier and then win the win the whatever the other one's called. I think it's called qualifier two at that point. They'll beat CSK in the eliminator. Because sorry, they'll beat KKR in the in the qualifier two because KKR are going to get through because Chakravarty and Narina are really good. Narain not being anywhere near the. He's not even in a reserve for the West Indies T20 squad. I think I mentioned it on last week's pod, but I'm going to mention it again. It's mental. I'm really angry about it because Sunil Narain is one of the best T20 players ever. He's had some dips in form. Fair enough. But how many other players have bowled a maiden in a Super Over? How many other players have done that? I, I can't actually tell you, but I don't think it's very many to be honest. I'm going to assume it's zero. <laughs> I think it's zero, yeah, but don't quote me on that. I don't you know, I don't follow I don't know Afghanistan domestic t20 cricket that that closely, so someone might have done there.
0: Maybe it's happened. Personally, I look forward to uh, this podcast uh, in a couple of weeks when Mumbai have won their four title. <laughs> I have, uh, us having completely ru- ruled them out entirely from the conversation. Um, while we're on KKR, we have to shout out Venkatesh Iyer because I don't understand where he's come from yet. He's amazing in every capacity. Um, also, who has is a really he? he has a really Sorry, weird backstory. Who, I was looking into this. I read I read a profile on him the other day. He's just so he's just a guy who like went to university and was really clever and was doing academic subjects, and that's what he wanted to do. And it turned out he was also really good at cricket. And eventually, his parents had to persuade him to please give cricket a chance. And now he's in the IPL and bossing it. So fair play.
1: Yeah, because I saw him batting, and I was like, "Oh Christ, who is this?" Because how many like dodgy, substandard Indian top order batsmen have have um, have KKR tried over the last few years? Because they just never got a good overseas batsman. You know, they just like how many different opening partners has has Shubman Gill had in the last two years? I think we could even be verging on double figures at this point. <laughs> There's so many. So I was like, oh, God, who's this book? And actually, he's really good. And then Tripathi's found some form because they just hit it really far, which seems to work. They're following the soon on the Rhine kind of school of thought. Just hit the ball really far. Yeah, basically. That's basically the game. Yeah, that, that kind of works, doesn't it? It's what Dre Russ does. It's what Chris Gale does. <laughs> you know, it works pretty well. And yeah, also he bowls and his bowling's OK. But like... You don't expect you. Don't, he doesn't need to be that good to be an like an opening batsman who can bowl. He just you know a couple overs here and there, and that'll do. Yeah, you, know, you can't ask for much more than that. I, it's, although, it's truly
0: bizarre that he, this, he's just sort of appeared out of absolutely nowhere and is good at everything. And it's the kind of role that the India international seed could probably really do with in a universe where Hardik Bandia doesn't bowl anymore. <laughs> that definitely. Kind of, all-rounder Definitely. who is actually genuinely a good batsman at the same time as being a good bowler he won't get in the yeah. side because it's stacked to you know there's <laughs> about four players for every position but if he, if he keeps it up for the next couple of seasons that could be a really interesting option
1: yeah top order bowling options are something that is very highly valuable in in in, in t20 cricket and lots of teams don't have them Internationally, particularly India, don't really have an option. Rohit Sharma can turn his arm over if you want him to. Um, South Africa is another team that doesn't have an option like that. So balancing the sides difficult. Whereas England, Liam Livingston can do a bit. Obviously, Ben Stokes can you know do more than a bit. Mo and Ali can do more than a bit if you pick him in the top order. So that yeah gives some balance to the side. And we're we're straying into t twenty. <laughs> we're straying into t twenty World Cup discourse again. I'm very excited for it. We will cover it extensively over the next few podcasts, but today is not that day. Moving onwards from the IPL. So the last few games are over the next couple of days, the knockout rounds are really weirdly next week. The final is the final is on Friday next week, which is a bit strange. I'm pretty sure it's always a, a, a Sunday or a Saturday. It's definitely always a, a, a weekend. but yeah, it's next. Uh, next Friday and the qualifiers start on Sunday so the last games on Friday qualifiers st- uh, qualify once Sunday and then the eliminators are on Monday and then the qualifiers whatever they're called next week next week is when it all happens basically is when it all kind of finishes off and we see who wins if Mumbai can win it again or if uh, maybe a new name on the on the cup. Uh, In other cricket news for today, we had a women's test match over the weekend. It was really good. I was really excited for it because the timings for the UK weren't too bad. It was kind of like because it was a day nighter, pink baller. It started at 6 a.m. UK time. So you kind of if I get up, if I get up at like half seven, eight, you miss the you miss the first uh, the first session. And they weren't even calling it the lunch break though; they were calling it the dinner break, which really annoyed me. But obviously for them, it's not lunchtime, but I thought they'd just call it tea and then call it like the, I don't know. They called the other one tea. I don't know. Zach's really angry about the importance. I'm quite angry about it. I just heard dinner and I was like, is this dinner? Where has this come from? You know, we usually call it lunch. We call it tea, but it's not like we have our tea at that time or our... The whole thing annoyed me. I, I don't know if you saw this, Will, but have you got any opinions on it before we... You know, dive in <laughs> on the meal times. On the meal times, yeah. Well,
0: I think we should certainly clip for social media. Zach's bizarre all caps rant about lunchtime. Apart <laughs> from that, I have no opinions. No, because I'm a normal person.
1: Okay. Well, fine. Well, I'll get angry on my own about this. So the test match was good. Lots of rain and lots of lightning. There was there was lightning in the air, which meant they had to kind of call it off. It was interesting. They talked to one of the umpires because it was like. How, how are you meant to know that there's lightning in the area? And they were like, oh, this is when the uh, third umpire is pretty important. Also, like, just kind of keeping an eye on the skies. And I was like, we don't really get that. I feel like we don't really get that much lightning here in the UK. It's usually just rain. So, yeah, it kind of, it meant that this, they, they, they started and had, they lost hours to every day. And when it's a four-day test match, that causes some problems. We'll come on to that, though. So, Australia won the toss. They put India in. And Australia didn't start well. They kind of, their bowlers couldn't really get control of the pink ball. It did, it was swinging a bit, but as we know, the pink ball swings a lot for the first kind of 10, 15 overs, and then just doesn't. But there's no, there's no reverse after like 60 overs with a pink ball. There's no, oh, Duke's ball takes about 20 overs to start swinging. Then once it goes, you know, with the pink ball, it, it swings and then it just doesn't. So they India was 71 without loss after the first hour. No one really managed to kind of impress me from the Australian bowlers. The only one who kind of got any control was Molyneux, who went at 1.9 and over across her 23 overs, got some control there. Uh, For India, India made, ended up making 377 for eight declared, including Smriti Mandan first test ton, which was brilliant. And she talked afterwards about having kind of got the monkey off her back because she'd got She'd got to kind of 80-odd a few times and then finally got over that mark. You know, they say the test tonne, have you, not you you're not really a test cricketer until you've got a test tonne is always the thing bandied about. So Smitty Mandana, well done. You are a test cricketer now. But yeah, fantastic knock. Put India in a really dominating position, although kind of two days had passed by then, so they kind of needed to skittle Australia if they were going to ever be able to force a result here. Australia in reply got 241 for nine. Elise Perry continued her Silly recent test form, in which she's only been dismissed once since 2015, and has averaged so has averaged 474 since in this time, and she scored 68 not out because they didn't want to they didn't want to make her get out. They wanted to protect the average. That's why they declared 241 for nine. India then hit 135 for three, declared again, including another test fifty for uh, pod favourite Shafali Verma. which is great for her. She's yet to get a test ton, but I don't think it'll be far away as long as they get to play some test matches. We'll come on to that. Australia then hit 36 for two in reply. More lightning, more rain. I mean, they shouldn't really play test matches in Australia if it's going to rain all the time, my personal opinion. A couple of points to note. Uh, Melinda Farrell did a really great uh, article about this, about kind of some of the issues with the test match, some of the problems, and we'll put it under the we'll put it under the podcast in think because it's really good. One of the main things that kind of went wrong, other than it being five days, because you know, it should have been five days, would have given them more of a chance to kind of spread out the overs and avoid rain delays. It, there was no DRS was kind of the main issue because they moved venue late on because of local lockdowns and stuff in Australia. And this, they kind of said, Oh yeah, we've, we had to move venues late. This, this is why it's happened. But would, this would never happen for a men's game. What, what do you think about this world? I mean, there, there's no chance Australia, India have to move Australia and the men's play each other and they have to move venue that there's no DRS is there. So it's, it's not acceptable really.
0: No, there's absolutely no universe where that happens. One, because it's just amateurish and pathetic. Two, because that you know DRS technology has become part of the game. Everybody expects it It's part of the rule set. Three, not just because, you know, it's how the game is governed, but it affects how the batters play. And this is now a generation who have grown up always having, you know, knowing that DRS will be in the professional game. That's how you design your game to, towards doing that and playing in a certain way. So obviously it's ridiculous it would never happen for the men's game and it's not the first time that we said this on the pod we've had issues about pitches in the last year um obviously discrepancies over pay um you have the the kind of giant discrepancy during the covid and the pandemic times between how much cricket the men have been sent to play versus how much is organized for the for the women's game which was almost nothing for the first 12 months of covid and the BCCI the, the indian Authority is 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 certainly no innocent party in this either. We're not blaming the Australian authorities. We've, we've talked about the ECB many times uh, in the past, but the BCCI is probably the worst offender. Um, we've spoken a lot in the past about the possible, well, the, 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 the need, but the possibility of happening a women's version of the IPL. We have the women's big bash starting very soon, as you'll talk about. We had the women's 100 on a pretty much level playing field to the men's this summer in England. Have nothing like that in India. It doesn't exist, mainly because the role of the IPL in the BCCI's BCC eyes, eyes, is to make ungodly amounts of money and give that cricket authority power over the whole rest of the global game. Um, women's cricket doesn't seem to factor into that. Um, and as a result, all of these various bodies who are supposed to run the game in the interest of the players and putting on events for them, end up undermining their own teams, which are generationally talented. You, you said all of the names just there, all of the harman pree Shafali Verma, all of these guys deserve the opportunity to have an unbelievable test career and an unbelievable career in all formats and they're not getting that because the the level of amateurishness from their governing bodies is is so out of kilter with the quality of the professional game at this point
1: absolutely yeah and it, it is a particular issue for India I would say they you know the the IPL is one thing playing Red Bull cricket is or, or pink ball as this was but playing any form of kind of multi-day test cricket is is a rarity for women we have these multi-format series which I think is a good thing could we have an extra test match in there I'd love to see an extra test match in there for example Julian Goswami who I'm a massive fan of she is a really good tail ender batsman I I mean obviously she's a bowler primarily and I'm a big fan of her bowling but it's her batting which made me fall in love because she plays like a tail ender but is really good at batting like a tail ender because you can just, as we said with people in the IPO, she can hit it really far. <laughs> this is basically it. It boil cricket down to one thing, try and hit it really far. And Julian Goswami embodies this perfectly. She actually played in the last game between these two in 2007. And that was the last time these two have played each other in a test match, which is mental. She's only played 12 test matches in her career. Will she play another one? She, she doesn't play T20s anymore, she's 38 there isn't a next test match india's next game is scheduled after this there's t20s going to happen this week but after that there is their next game is the at the 50 over world cup in new zealand in march late march i think it's starting so the, the fact that the indian women we've seen so much of them in the last few months it's it's been really nice to get to know this team like we've we've just said lovable team and we're, we're not going to now see them till till march potentially some of them we will see in the in the Big Bash, which is starting. I mean, the the Big Bash women's the women's Big Bash has been a massive success over its. I think it's his sixth season now, but it's kind of. I don't think we've seen many Indian players go that often before. Like there's been a few like Harmanpreet Kaur. I think it's kind of been a few times, but like this season we've got Shafali Verma's going to the Sydney Sixers. We've got. We've got some great English players as well. Izzy Wong's going to Sydney Thunder. She's going to be joined by Smriti Mandana and Deep Sharma. We've also got um, Eve Jones is going to the Renegades. She's going to be joined by Harman Kaur and Jemima Rodriguez, who she was doing loads of interviews during the test match. I think she was like a 12th man or something, Jermaine Rodriguez. And she's, she's just having a great time. She was having a joke, having a laugh, talking about the rain. And yeah, having a great time. And so she should have a great time. One thing, though, is that Australian women's cricket is in a much better place than any other nation. Hence why they are favourites for the World Cup next year. Hence why they won the T20 World Cup and have won both World Cups more time than any other nation. They are not, they, their Red Bull cricket isn't perfect, though. They don't play, there was lots of debutantes in this test match, which was great to see. But lots, uh, there was an interview with one of the senior Aussies where, she had to say, she, had to, she was kind of explaining some of the rules of test cricket to one of the debutants because she'd never played a Red Bull game because they don't play domestic Red Bull cricket. In England, they play a bit of domestic Red Bull cricket, but it's not, not really, like it's not professional and it's difficult though. Well, I, I want you to come up with a solution for this because Red Bull cricket across the world domestically and even some international games, quite a lot of international games, doesn't make any money for anyone. So what's the solution?
0: I mean, it's a great question. That, that, is, that, is, that is the central issue. No, I think, I think there, you have to view it in two ways. The first is that all of cricket is like an iceberg and you see the flashy bit at the top. But if you melt away all of your support underneath at the grassroots and at the, the stuff that gets kids learning the game and learning how to play cricket, then you're not going to get all of the nice flashy bit at the top. And Red Bull is a huge part of that. I mean, we spoke before about you know, Dan Dan's campaign to abolish the Royal London One Day Cup, but then still have England uh, successfully win 50 over World Cups internationally. It's not a thing. That won't happen. Um, and I think you have to view the whole cricketing you know, pyramid to co-opt a football word a, a little bit like that, that. You have to be able to give opportunities to players to learn all formats of the game from a young age and have sufficient time in their professional career to play those things in order for them to learn the skills that will make you a successful cricketer in all of the other formats that's point, one. point two is all sport is so much bigger and more valuable and more important than the stuff that we get to see on tv it's all of the you know games across the country across the world that people can go to in their local area that might not get huge crowds or ever be televised but it's a sport people want to watch and want to play and want to be involved with and that grassroots stuff is the lifeblood of the game and that's what gives people their emotional connection with cricket it's not just watching big slightly made up artificially created franchises on TV or an international tournament every now and again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great point. And yeah, it's it's tough though, isn't it? Because they just want to make money and make money and make money.
0: And on that making money point, I've, I've, I was doing a bit of research before the pod on the BCCI's attitude to women's cricket, which, as we've said, is, is severely lacking. But just this one last fact, because this, this, this I find unbelievable. Like I don't understand how this can happen in a professional sporting environment. So for nearly a year, the women's central contracts for their all-format teams from the BCCI weren't sorted at all, meaning the team went to South Africa to play a limited over series with no contract. No, none of the players were contracted as a governing body at all, um, and it took them until May this year to sort out the contracts for the England tour, which was about a month later than that. Um, so it is all about the money, and even though presumably they're not playing, paying these players very much, it was not going to cost them anything in the grand scheme of things. Still, they drag their heels over stuff like that.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We did. We we spoke briefly about this on a podcast a while back because there was they also hadn't still hadn't received by that point. Their prize money for getting to the final of the T20 World Cup, the which was you know which happened before COVID, it was February, February twenty twenty <laughs> yeah February twenty twenty. I mean, feels like it was about five years ago. It was only eighteen months ago, but still, they should have received their. their th- I think they have now. It's been sorted. But um, as always, Izzy Westbury did some fantastic coverage of that and did some great articles that I think basically meant they kind of had to do something about it because she used her platform for very good as she pretty much always does. Can't think of a time when she's not done that. Um, In something else that probably doesn't make any money uh, (laughs) and uh, definitely... Apart from this podcast. Apart from this podcast. This podcast, yeah, uh, makes loads of money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had the Bob Willis Trophy final last week. We spoke about it. I think it was the end of day one when when we had our podcast last week. Lancashire were 78 all out at that point. Warwickshire were about 100 odd for one. This meant that uh, at that point we could have predicted the result. Warwickshire massively won. They ended up uh, hitting a Mammoth 518, including a fifth time of the year for Rob Yates, who uh, I think could be on the plane to, to Australia in the winter. Another, and then also a big 156 from Captain Will Rhodes, Lanks did end up putting up a fight in the second innings. They hit 241 all out, losing by an innings and 199 runs, which narrowly avoided their worst ever defeat. Their captain was actually interviewed after the game, and he said in the morning of that day that their aim was to avoid their worst ever defeat because no one wants to be in record books. And I I don't know. I'm not so sure I'd like to be in record books for good things, not for bad things, but like, I wouldn't mind being in record books. Longest ever podcast, maybe. (laughs) most times recording the same podcast when we forget to hit record. It is now recording. Um, one uh, innings of note in that 241 was George Balderson. He top scored with 65. He's an all-rounder opening batsman who can bowl a bit. We've spoken a little bit about them already. Really exciting. He captained England at the Under-19 World Cup in 2020. And yeah, balled some handy medium fast, took some wickets against Somerset. Not not too difficult in, in, in this uh, latest bit, it's not been. But yeah, so he's one to keep an eye on. He can balance England's side in the future, hopefully. But yeah, uh, other than that, not really much more to add. Congrats to Warwickshire. Obviously, they are a team that Bob Willis did represent for years. So it's nice that they can hold that trophy whether it will happen next year is a big question mark. There's talk. We want them to follow Will McPherson's model. If you want to hear more about that, check out last week's pod. We advocated for a lot of things and primarily it was them picking up this article that Will McPherson wrote and using that as their kind of summer guide. It looks like they're not going to do that because apparently the role under One Day Cup is being played at the end of summer at the same time as the I that's been reported by George DeBell but not officially announced yet. But yeah, well, what do you think about the Bobolis Trophy? There's talk about it being moved to a kind of community shield, curtain raiser thing. But for me, I don't like that because no one cares about the community shield. It's a glorified friendly a lot of the time. So what do you think? Yeah, I have to
0: admit, I didn't, I didn't really watch any of it this year, partly because, as you say, it wasn't particularly competitive. Um, I think the main thing to say is, I mean, if I look at our podcast notes on it, for example, we have Bob Willis Trophy and our first bullet point is pointless, maybe question mark. And I think that kind of says it all in terms of the feeling around it. Um, And I mean, I I listened to the discussion that you guys had on the previous pod about reorganizing the whole summer um, where you, you had lots of really interesting ideas. And I think that the issue for me is if it doesn't feel important anyway, if we're already discussing whether or not it's pointless, then maybe it's better off as the traditional curtain raiser. Although I completely hear your point that the community shield is basically a waste of time. Nobody cares. But if it already seems like it doesn't really have a place, like it feels very, very late to have been playing this final and and still treating it like a really important event in the county summer. If you're playing it in almost October, it's probably not that important an event in the grand scheme of things. And therefore, maybe it would be better giving it a refresh and, and pitching it in a slightly different way.
1: Yeah, I think it certainly needs a refresh, but I don't think it's the kind of... the first bit of the season. I don't think that's going to be... that's the refresh it needs. I really like the idea of having it at the same time as the 100, so there was some red ball cricket going on whilst England were playing test cricket, so that there was somewhere that county players could go to try and get some form rather than just sitting on the bench at the, you know... at the, uh, <laughs> at the 100... Yeah, uh, moving on to something that has changed actually pretty drastically since we spoke yesterday. The ashes is the ashes going ahead? Is it not? Uh, there was the, the ECB released a statement on f- Sunday or Monday, I think, that basically said nothing. It said they were going to make a decision by the end of the week. Apparently, these talks have been going well, and although kind of Joe Root at the beginning of the week said he he was just very non-committal. I think it's going to happen. Will, what do you think? I I think it's now going to happen.
0: Well, in the interest of full disclosure, listeners, when we uh, first attempted to record this podcast, both of us said, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, which I still think we haven't quite got the full picture. As you said, we got some breaking news this morning that there have been new discussions between the ECB and Cricket Australia, and it will happen in some capacity, but we haven't got any news on specific players outside of it sounds like Joe Root is definitely going. The thing that makes me think that we we definitely won't get a full England team and that it's a bit weird that it's going ahead at all is because, as you say, the UCB put out this slightly non-committal statement earlier in the week. But if you read between the lines of it, what they said is we want to go do the Ashes, but we'll only go if we can put out a competitive team, which tells you that the players who have been discussing it behind the scenes, at least some of them, didn't really want to go. And that tension isn't going to be resolved just because the authorities decide between themselves that they're now happy with quarantine arrangement. Um, it does sound like that is a massive factor that's changed since yesterday. That, I mean, I'm not hugely familiar with the COVID situation in Australia, but it sounds like they've got the easing of some of their rules coming up. Um, and that the quarantine restrictions are going to go down from 14 days to seven days over the Christmas period, which will make it easier for the families to come and visit players and all this sort of thing, which sounds like it's it's a big factor in the decision for lots of players, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't know. I still just think, you know, with with the year that players have had, with the fact that we've still got the World Cup, which some of them are going to, it just feels like an option that lots of them are, are going to end up saying no to, because it's it, it it just doesn't sound like an appealing prospect in your work life after the 80 months that we've had. To them, You're like, oh, do you want to go stay in Australia in bubbles for another three months with the same blokes you've been knocking around hotel rooms for most of the last 80? Not really, to be honest. Um, but, but we'll have to see. We'll we'll see the news on that as it comes out. One thing that we've kind of spoken about before is that, you know, one way to to do this would be to manage the workloads of the players just more sensibly than they have done so far. Instead of kind of dropping players for a test here and there and pretending that they are now rested, um, you could just send a completely different squad to the T20 World Cup versus who's going to Australia and just say, listen, Johnny Birstow, if you want to go play the T20s, forget about being the test wicketkeeper for the winter. Like, that's fine. Just have a rest at that point. That seems very sensible to me. In some ways the, the most insufferable part of this whole thing has been the cycles of discourse that we've had over the last week, which none of the organizations have helped because obviously in the void of a decision being made, you've just got this vacuum that people fill with their terrible takes. Um, and it does feel like, you know, cricket has enough old men with opinions at this point that anytime anything happens, you can just spin a roulette wheel of bad takes and some, you know, Michael Vaughan or Ian Botham in this case will turn up to say, you know oh, these players who don't want to go to Australia because of the pandemic and bubbles, they just don't fancy the ultimate test of cricket in Australia. It's like, okay, come on. (laughs) We, We have moved on as a society. We understand mental health now. We understand that it's good for men to spend time with their newborn children. These are positive things. You don't have to prove your masculinity by going across the world in the middle of a pandemic to a place that might be on fire just because you want to prove that you're a good cricketer. This is not a thing please stop trying to force men to do really toxic things for the sake of sport um but,
1: but 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 what about what about when we used to get on the boat and spend six months away and we had to you know it was great fun and it didn't matter it was just you know we were playing australia and that was all that mattered
0: and i'm sure that your wives really enjoyed all the unpaid labor that you're making them do while you were all having a great time on tour um yeah the only other thing that I think is a slight. Well, actually, 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 there are two other things. There's one this sort of ongoing discourse, which I think just happens anytime Test cricket is in discussion and columnists have too much time on their hands and need to file some copy. Um, but you've, you've reignited this debate again about always oh, test cricket dying. And will this accelerate everything? And if you don't even have an Ashes test, what do we have anymore? Um, Barney, Barney Ronner, who I usually really like, I think he's quite good. And To be fair, he's written a reasonably good column in The Guardian. But but they've headlined it, you know, no pressure, Joe, but the future of test cricket depends on this Ashes series. Zach's shaking his head. It absolutely doesn't. Sorry, Barney. <laughs> um, I think all of this is sort of part of the kind of general sense that cricket might be a... a or. The cricket that lots of us know and love from our respective youths of red ball, white clothes, test summers, that may be slowly dying. And people are very anxious about that. And that's why you get these sort of very reactionary takes any time it's in the news. I don't know. You may have a different take on this. I think this is all a little bit of an exaggeration. Test cricket is not going to go anywhere faster because one Ashes series gets delayed by three months.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's going to be the biggest issue. But I, you know, I'm not sure that Test is not in the best place. And but bubbles aren't going to work forever. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. I think, you know, Australia's COVID policy. They've had a hell of a lot less deaths than we have. And but their vaccination rate isn't as good now because they decided that AstraZeneca wasn't suitable for anyone under fifty. Which I think looking back is a, was a bit of a mistake. So they had loads of AstraZeneca vaccine and nothing else. So they couldn't vaccinate anyone under 50 because they decided that the risk of blood clot, which we're not a science podcast, I'm not going to claim to know that much, but it was a pretty low risk. So they decided that. I think one of the weirdest things was Tim Payne coming out and saying he's a, oh yeah, first test match starting on the 8th, whether you're here or not, Joe. Like it's starting the discourse, and this morning has been hilarious on Twitter because obviously everyone's decided it's happening. The uh, Ashes discourse has begun. We've still got a T Twenty World Cup, guys. Just because Australia aren't going to compete doesn't mean doesn't mean we need to worry about uh, the Ashes already. It's like thinking about Christmas early, which is already going on across the UK. But yeah, I think Tim Payne saying that is interesting considering they've not played an away test match uh, for almost two years now. So yeah, it's interesting that he can say, oh yeah, they did come over to England. I don't think he was even there though because he doesn't play white ball stuff because he's not very good at cricket. (laughs) Not very good at cricket generally. He's got, I think, five less test match tons than Ravi Ashwin, who he wanted to uh, invite to the Gabba famously. (laughs) Yeah, he's not very good. What do you think about him? Will, I think he's, this is something we, again, we agree on on the podcast. We don't really like him.
0: We certainly do agree. We don't really like him. And it's a problem because, as you said, the only reason that he's the captain of the Australian test side is because they needed a bloke who seemed like quite a nice guy after Sandpaper Gate. Um, and if he's now deciding to kick off in the press, weirdly trying to bait England players into coming across the ocean in the middle of pandemic, even though, as you said, Australia have played four tests since the start of COVID and they've all been at home. Weird. Weird to trash your reputation and make yourself seem like the villain when your whole role in the side is to be a nice guy. If Tim Payne is also a villain, we may as well make David Warner the captain at this point.
1: We might as Um, well. I I reckon it would also be more fun. It would be way more fun. comedy thing. Because
0: yeah. if, if you're going to lead into weird psychodrama discourse during an Ashes series Down Under, I mean, let's just do it. Let's just, mm. just go all the way. Um, the only other interesting undercurrent to all of this, I think, and we've had some new quotes from Michael Holding this morning about this, is about whether or not England are entirely um, innocent in this whole equation, because there's a lurking feeling from some quarters that the ECB haven't quite, at least yet, reciprocated tours of any of the countries which came to play in England early on in the pandemic, But remember, you know, we didn't have a vaccine. We didn't know if bubbles were going to work well. We didn't completely know how dangerous this thing was for players at their age group. And yet you had the West Indies, Pakistan and the Australian short format side, minus Tim Payne, all going to England in summer of 2020. England haven't yet gone back to any of those. They're supposed to be in the West Indies uh, at the end of January next year. Obviously, they were meant to be in Pakistan this week. That didn't happen. Um which there's some interesting quotes from Michael Holding who is sort of the patron saint of this podcast we basically agree with everything he he tends to say. He was very very critical of it. He 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 basically said, you know, it the, the ECB just behaved with what he called western arrogance towards all the other cricket boards. And he said, I'll treat you how I feel like treating you. It doesn't matter what you think, I'll just do what I want. That's how English cricket behaves. Which there's an element of truth with when you look at, you know, the lengths that other countries went to to be able to talk England had a really vulnerable time. The fact that none of that has been reciprocated yet is a little bit odd. At the same time, you have to have a little bit of sympathy because the the, the cricketing schedule in the last year has been absolutely ridiculous. Players have had to be all over the world for different reasons at different times. It is hard to fit things in. And at this point, as we said earlier, I don't think we should be putting ridiculous demands on England players to go anywhere at this point in time. If after 18 months of bubbles they just don't feel like they can do that anymore. I have complete sympathy with that.
1: One one thing is interesting, though, is that the England players who aren't playing in the IPL have all gone to Oman for a training camp yesterday. They weren't meant to start playing Pakistan until the 13th. So how much longer would they have had to bubble for if they had played Pakistan? I can't imagine it's much longer, a, a couple of days or something. I can understand that there's obviously there's like people who are playing in the IPL who might have been pulled away from the IPL maybe but I I don't think they would have done that no I think that's right
0: and I think that's why I think Michael Holdings criticism on this is probably fair because one of the weird things about the statements the ECB put out and the decision itself not to go to Pakistan is that it didn't really make sense even on its own terms although when you look at it in the macro it completely makes sense in fact it was always ridiculous that England were going to try and play a series in Pakistan just before the T20 World Cup And just after the IPL, like that was always an odd decision. I think, to be honest, what I think happened is a lot of people looked at the schedule coming up for the next couple of months, players and organization, and went, this was a really bad idea. We shouldn't really be there. We can't really squeeze it in. I'd rather not go. The whole security issue happened with the New Zealand tour of Pakistan. And that was quite a convenient excuse for some people to cancel the whole thing. Because when you look at the statement that they put out, the ECB could have just said, hey, we've had security concerns flagged. With the New Zealand camp, we obviously share information. We have the same concerns about security. Therefore, we have to postpone this and make sure that we can do it when it's safe. Or they could have said, hey, some of our players don't want to go because bubbles. We're going to pull out. Or they could have said, we can't actually fit it in before the World Cup. Sorry, we made a mistake. They kind of did none of those things, but muddled it all together, which makes me think that it was a bit of a convenient excuse to get rid of a tour that shouldn't really have been scheduled in the first place.
1: Yeah, completely agree, Will. And yeah, it probably shouldn't have been scheduled. But also, you know, it seems it seems silly that that because they because they quoted that the players didn't want to do it. Heather Knight said on commentary that she wasn't consulted, and if they quoted, if they talked to senior players, there's not many more senior players than Heather Knight. And also for the women, it's so much more because they had. They had ODIs in this and they've got an ODI World Cup in March. How brilliant... Pakistan women didn't have a team 10 years ago. How brilliant would it have been for them to host England women, the World Cup champions, in the 50-over tournament before before a 50-over World Cup? That would have been brilliant for them. So it's such a shame. The men's tour always kind of seemed a bit kind of tokenistic because it was just two T20s. They're meant to be doing a full tour next November, December. Really hope it goes ahead. Uh, but who knows at this point? You know, there seems to be excuses after excuses. New, Ze- so New Zealand pulled out of playing in Pakistan. Australia are meant to be going there in uh, after the T20 World Cup. So I would put a lot of money on them not going to Pakistan as well. And it's a big shame for Pakistan cricket in general because they felt like they've been making progress. South Africa went, West Indies have been. It's, you know, is uh, is it now? Are we going to go backwards now for not really any particular reason? Nothing's been, you know, too not. There's not been. I mean, there were security concerns, right? But there was never. Obviously, they, they can't give out details of this because that's how security works. But still, we're now complaining, and it should never have gone ahead.
0: Yeah, really good points there. Completely agree that you know it's important that the women's tour doesn't get lost in all of this. I just kind of think we've had so many issues over the last year where women's cricket is happening, but it doesn't get the respect or the attention that it deserves because it's shuffled around and it's put in the middle of other things and it's it's hidden underneath men's tournaments, which means it doesn't get televised properly, all this sort of stuff. So I just kind of think if 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 the men and the women are going to go at the same time, make it a showpiece event, especially because absolutely right. What we the point that we don't want to look like we're making here is England sides shouldn't be touring Pakistan because. I, Exactly as you say, they've made so much progress in the last few years towards building a point where teams can go and tour that now. And it's fantastic because it's one of the great homes of cricket around the world. Um, Pakistani cricket fans are so passionate about their side. It's like having like not being able to tour in India for 10 years. I mean, ridiculous. So I think we should just this was the wrong time shuffled in amongst other stuff with the pandemic still going on with that security question mark hanging over it. It was the wrong time to go. But definitely, early next year, they should look at it again. Build it into a set-piece event. Men, women, go at the same time, but don't play the same days. Televise everything. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Completely agree. <laughs> it's a big shame. Because now England women won't play until the women's ashes. And they, you know, they played well in the New Zealand series, but they they could do it. They'd like some more games, I'm sure. I'm, they have had a really, really busy summer in you know comparatively to previous summers so understandable if they want to break as well but yeah it's a shame and it's just worrying for 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 cricket going forward that we you know i, I want england to you know tour everywhere that's had this you know accepted them but you know maybe maybe we'd need set these separate squads you you've been talking about but some players are just too good to only play one form, aren't they? Oh, going back to what you said about the kind of David Warner psycho drama, I've just been thinking about what would be the ultimate England eleven. I haven't really managed to get anywhere near an eleven. For like, I want nasty bastards to just like give it loads on the on the field. You know, Johnny Bersto, he's the wicketkeeper batsman for that team. Ben Stokes is definitely there. You know, Zach Crawley is no end of the team. He's too nice. I see for me, no one in the team. I don't think I, I couldn't name an opener to be honest for that team. Maybe we're bringing back. Well, I think we're, we're allowed to bring back some players. So Graham Swan is definitely our spinner. Kevin Peterson's there.
0: <laughs> You're like, bringing people out of retirement
1: now. Oh yeah, we're bringing people out of retirement. We can go back as far as you want. But
0: Jeffrey I think boycott in a wheelchair.
1: Yeah, I think boycott's going to have to be going to have to going to have to open the batting for us because other than that, opening batsmen, our opening batsmen are too nice. Cook, nice. Strauss nice yeah triscothic really nice <laughs> then you come to now Sibley seems decent Burns is far too nice basically we need some some harder opening batsmen for Australia I think it's you know you'd pick half their 11 now Matthew Wade David Warner open up um Smith can Smith can be in there he's definitely got that side to him uh who else can you get in <laughs> Matthew Wade is definitely he's, he's vice captain 100 percent. Other than that we go up ponting could be in there Warren. shane warne's definitely in there someone like alan border as well i oh yeah australia team's easy just pick an all-star australian team and they were all they were all horrible basically
0: there you go on the next pod we'll have our full 11s for the <laughs> shithouse derby nasty ashes <laughs> the, the nasty ashes please please tweet us any suggestions <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, and on that uh, nasty note, I think that probably about wraps us up for today. We have actually recorded this time, I believe. If not, you're not getting a podcast this week because I'm not doing this again. It's been fun the second time around. Thank you very much for joining me, Will. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. Uh, if It's the first time you've heard this. It's the second time we've run through it. Although we've, we've come out with quite a lot of different stuff, which I quite like so yeah thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week with the start of our world cup previews which i'm very excited for